Take your Bibles with me this morning. We're going to the book of Judges this morning. The book of Judges will be beginning in chapter number six. You'll turn there with me, Judges chapter six. I am Evangelist Drew Hay, and uh, we are very, very excited to be able to be here with you all today. Uh, my wife, Caitlin, is over here on the left side, about three rows back here. And uh, our children are uh, back in the nursery or in classes or uh, whatever. We have three children. Amelia is our older. She's four years old. And then we have Solomon, and he is two years old, and then Felicity is five months old. So uh, if they're curly-headed and misbehaving, those are probably my kids, so you'll be able to pick them out right away. And uh, But we're so thankful for them and thankful uh, for the, how the Lord has blessed our family. Uh, we are from North Carolina, way, way on the other side of the continent here, <laughs> and uh, we are uh, just beginning traveling and evangelism at, as of the beginning of the year. Uh, Evangelist Dwight Smith, many of you would know that name. Uh, we have been traveling with him and his family, doing music and children's meetings and uh, preaching when we've had the opportunity, uh, kind of, and he's kind of helping us get started, so we're thankful for him. And uh, he's preaching in Elk Grove. Uh, Elk Grove, I believe, it was is, is the name of the city, and that's where he's preaching uh, today. And we'll be joining him for the rest of the week of the meetings there uh, through Friday. But Pastor Rogers um, graciously allowed us to park our fifth wheels here. Brother Dwight's is the big one here in the main parking lot, and then mine's kind of back behind the uh, the other building there. And uh, he's allowed us to, to, to park here graciously as the, the churches that we were going to be at wouldn't have any place for us to park. And then he said, well, I'm going out of town, you know. <laughs> you want to preach, Brother Drew? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. We'd, uh, we'd enjoy that. We'd appreciate that very much. And so here we are, and we're excited to be here. I was an assistant pastor for five years up in Pennsylvania before heading into evangelism, and now here we are, and we're excited about what the Lord has done in our lives and what the Lord's doing here as well. This is my first time in California. I've kind of been all up and down the East Coast. I did an internship in Arizona, but I've never been as far west as California. And now we're here in the great state of California. Uh, we travel with our fifth wheel, of course, and I have a big uh, Ford Dually truck, Ford F-350, that we use to pull that. And I will tell you, uh, to, will tell you all, the first time that uh, I pulled up to a diesel pump here in the great state of California... <laughs> And tried to fill my truck up and realized that I'd have to do a couple of transactions in order to, to, to be able to fill that thing up. And, you know, <laughs> a large sum of money later when that tank was filled, I did cry a little bit in my heart and in my spirit. <laughs> but it's exciting. It's exciting to be here. And, you know, I've, I've noticed in just a little time that I've been here an openness to talk to folks about the gospel. Back east, there's a lot of folks that are religious. You know, they say, oh, I'm a Christian, or I go to this church, and they just have no interest in talking to you. But people around here, they seem to, they seem to talk to you. They seem to be willing to talk to you. I was uh, going to get propane for our, for our trailer and, and, and ended up talking to a fellow by the name of Seth the, 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 the whole time and was able to share a bit of the gospel with him and invite him out to the meetings. And uh, it, it was just, he was just wide open. He said, I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of searching. You know, I, don't, I believe in God, but I, I, don't, I really don't know, you know, where I'm going when I die. I really don't know you know, what to believe, really. And, and I think that's a great opportunity. You know, sometimes we can get focused on the dark days. We can get focused on the struggles. We can get focused on, on, the, on how the world is falling and how things just seem to be going the wrong direction. But let me tell you something today, folks. God is still on the throne. God is still at work in our world, and I am so thankful for that. Don't get so lost in, in, in what the media tells you about how the world's falling apart, and it seems like the devil's winning on every side. I'll, let me tell you something. God is still at work, and God is still doing miraculous things all around this world, and he's still bringing people to himself. And, and, and the second we stop believing that God is able, we start buying into this, oh, woe is us we start to lose the joy of our salvation. And we start to lose the effectiveness of what God wants to do in our hearts. So let's not buy into this world system. Let's continue to go on for Jesus Christ. But have you ever read perhaps a biography of a great Christian? Perhaps you've read a story in the Word of God, and it's been like, wow. I mean, it's amazing how God was able to use this individual or that individual to do great things for him. I think of somebody like Daniel, you know, Daniel, we're introduced to him in the book of Daniel, of course, and, you know, we see him standing up for what's right, and we see him purposing in his heart not to defile himself. We see his friends refusing to bow down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar set up and getting thrown in the fiery furnace, and then God delivers them. And then we see Daniel himself, when the decree came down that you can't pray to anybody but the king, Daniel said, I'm going to do what's right, I'm going to pray to God. And God delivers him out of the, the, the den of lions, out of the mouth of these hungry lions, 
and we say, man, that's amazing. Or we look at a guy like David, how God took him and made him the king of Israel, and before that, used him to defeat Goliath, just a little teenage boy taking down a nine-foot-plus giant who had been trained in war since he was a boy. And we can look at these stories of these great men in the Bible, these great women in the Bible, and say, wow, that is amazing. That's awesome how God was able to use them to win great victories and to do great things for him. And then I don't know about you, but sometimes this little voice in the back of my head tells me this. Well, that was pretty awesome. But I could never do anything like that. Oh, that's pretty great. That's pretty amazing what God did. But something like that could never happen to me. God could never use me in such a way that, that something amazing and huge would happen that would resonate throughout history. And sometimes, you know, we, we, I don't know about you, but sometimes we can look at these stories of great heroes of the faith and we just see, we see the mountaintops. We see their great victories. We see the great things that God let them do. But sometimes we don't see the process that got them there. And I'm thankful for this story in the book of Judges because God kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and shows us a little bit of the process of what got this particular man that we're going to talk about to where God wanted him to be, to where God could use him in a great and mighty way. So today I want to preach to you a message I've entitled, From Coward to Commander. From Coward to Commander. Judges chapter 6 is where you're at in your Bibles, and the Bible says in verse number 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Let's pause and ask the Lord to bless our time in the scriptures this morning. Lord, we thank you for your precious and perfect word. Lord, we thank you that it's still profitable and it's still just as relevant today as it was the day it was written, Lord. And I pray as we look into your word today, Lord, that you would speak to us in a special way. Would you hide me behind your cross, Lord? Help me nothing to come out of my mouth, but that what you want to come out, Lord. And I pray that you would be glorified and that all of us, Lord, would leave changed this morning. We will leave with something from your word that is spoken to our hearts. We'll give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. We're introduced here to the children of Israel, and, and, and here they are in the book of Judges, and the Bible said that they did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. If you know anything about the book of Judges, you know that Israel kind of fell into this cycle. They would rebel against God. They would start worshiping false gods. They would do evil in the sight of God, and God would have to bring judgment upon his people. And in the book of Judges, that judgment often was in the form of another country, another nation that would come in and they would oppress the Israelites. They would take them over. They would conquer them. And after so long of being under God's judgment and God's oppression, Israel would finally realize, hey, this is not, this is not cool. This is not where we want to be. This is not worth it to stay in our sin. And they would cry out to God and they would repent. And God would often send them an, an individual that he would raise up called a judge. And that judge would come and help deliver Israel out of the hand of their oppressors. And while that judge lived, Israel did what was right. Israel worshiped God. But after that judge died, before too long, the next generation would rise up and they would forget about what God had done. They would forget about the oppression in the past and they would forget about the consequences that sin had wrought upon their families. And they'd say, you know what, we're going to go after other gods again. And so the cycle would continue. And here we are in this cycle, and Israel had sinned, and God delivered them into the hands of the Midianites. And verse number 2 tells us how bad times got. The Bible says, The hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains, and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till they cometh unto Gaza, and left no sustenance. For Israel. In verse number six, the Bible says, Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. It came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. And if we think about it from a human perspective, here's Israel. They are in a mess. Okay. They have sinned against God. They're in a mess. They're, they're under the, the oppression of the Midianites. And if it was up to you and I, what we would have done is said, okay, who do we need to be the judge here? Who do we need to pick out to be this person that will deliver us and that will lead us out of bondage and that will bring us back into the good graces of God? Who are we going to pick? We'd probably look for somebody who had some military background. Maybe somebody who had fought in, in, in one of the wars before, and we'd say, okay, we need somebody that's got some, some military strategy. 
Or maybe we look for one, one, somebody with some natural leadership ability, you know, somebody who can rally the people together and, and get them all out of the caves and out of the dens and rally them together to fight. We'd be looking for somebody who, you know, had a good reputation, somebody who had some leadership skills, somebody who had maybe some military training. That's the kind of person that we would be looking for to lead the Israelites out of bondage. But that's not who God was looking for. We see, first of all, this morning, we see the selection of a leader, the selection of a leader. Verse number 11, they came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which is an Ophrah, which pertained unto Joash the Abyssalite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. God looks down at his nation of Israel. And he doesn't look for somebody who had really got it all figured out or somebody who had great background and great training. No, he looked down into a wine press where there was a young man by the name of Gideon. And the Bible said that Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press. That's not really a place that you normally would thresh wheat. But Gideon was afraid. He was like all the other people of Israel. He was terrified. Every time they would sow, the Midianites would come down and they would steal the harvest and leave the Israelites starving. And so Gideon said, maybe we can thresh this wheat in the wine press and, and hide it from the Midianites. And, and, and as it says in verse number 11 there, and, and maybe we'll have some food for the winter. But we see him there and there he is. He's not standing tall, ready to, to, to answer the call. No, he's cowering, hiding in the wine press, looking. Oh, the Midianites coming. Okay. All right. We're wait, 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 just trying to get some food together for the family. Here he was cowering in the wine press. Not the picture of a great leader that you would expect God to select, but this was the one that God had chosen. Gideon, cowering in the wine press. You see, God doesn't think like we do. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance, but God, he looks at the heart. And aren't you glad about that? Let me tell you something about our God. Our God does not see us for who we are currently. He doesn't see you for all your struggles and all your failures and and maybe all the things that you think hold you back currently. God sees you for who he can make you into. How do you say how do you see that, brother Drew? Well, we'll continue let's continue reading. Verse number 12, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, "The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor." Wait, who? You talk you're, you're talking to me? Mighty man of valor, as I hear, as I'm here cowering in the wine press, just trying to get enough food for my family for the next year. Mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why then is all this befallen us? Israel was questioning God's plan. God, why have you allowed this to happen in our lives? And where be all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Israel was questioning God's power. God, you're supposed to be the almighty God and, and, and we've heard about how you did great things in Egypt and, and, and sent the plagues and you brought our people out of Egypt. What happened to that God? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He was questioning God's presence. God, where are you? What are you up to? It doesn't seem like you're at work. We can't see you, God. That's the interesting thing about sin, folks. When we allow sin into our lives, it may seem harmless at first. It may seem like it's not a big deal at first, but when we allow sin, when we compromise and we let the devil have his way in our hearts, all of a sudden we begin questioning God's plan. We begin questioning God's power, begin questioning God's presence. When it's not God that that, that moved and God that lost his power, but it was us that has alienated ourselves from him. And this is where Israel was at this point. Man, they're questioning everything. God, what are you doing? Where are you? But God looked down at this young man, Gideon. And look what he says in verse 14. The Lord looked at him. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad the Lord looks down and he sees you? The Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Go in this thy might, Gideon. Gideon's like, God, what are you talking about? Verse 15, he said to him, Oh my Lord, where shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. 
And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. <laughs> God, we're poor. I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm like the youngest in the family. I, I, I have no influence. I have no leadership abilities. I'm just trying to, to, to get a little food here, God. Go in this thy might, the Lord says to him. You see, folks, we're just dust. That's all we are. Psalm 103, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says, Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. We're just dust. There's nothing special about us. But you take a little dust, and you add some water to it. And you take that dust and that water, you mix it together, and you make some clay, and you take that clay, and you put it in the hands of a master potter who will put it on the wheel and will work it and will and will and will and will, and will, will design it and will and will and will and will work it together and will will we'll spin that wheel around and and all of a sudden that 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 dust can be turned into something beautiful it can be turned into something useful and so us as 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 mere human beings if we allow ourselves to be put into the hands of the creator of heaven and earth something beautiful and something useful can be made out of our lives. God's qualifications and qualities he's looking for are completely different than the world's. The world was looking for somebody who's, who's mighty, somebody who's got power, somebody who's got charisma, but God says, I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the heart. And I choose you, Gideon. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad God doesn't look at you and see your sin and God doesn't look at you if you've been saved and see your shortcomings and see your failures? He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he's put on your life. And he remembers our sins no more. And he's able to take us no matter what we've done or where we've been and, 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 and do something amazing with our lives. The selection of a leader. But not only we see the selection of a leader, we see the sanctifying of the house, the sanctifying of the house. Before God could do something great through Gideon, there were some things that had to be taken care of back at home. Look at verse number 25, if you would, with me this morning of Judges 6. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal and that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in an ordered place. And take the second bullock and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city, that he did not do it by day, that he did it by night. So here's what God says. Listen, Gideon, I have chosen you. You mighty man of valor, you. <laughs> I've chosen you, Gideon, and I want you to lead my people. I want you to deliver my people out of the hand of Midian. But before we can get to all of that, there's some things that got to be taken care of back home. Back in your father's house, Gideon, there's a grove to this false god, Baal, where terrible and, and, and unspeakable acts of evil would be committed in worship to this false god. So there's this, there's, there's this grove, there's this altar back at your father's house, Gideon, and I want you to go in there and I want you to cut it down. I want you to destroy it. And instead, I want you to build an altar to me instead. And so I see, second of all, the sanctifying of the house. Before God could use Gideon, there's some sanctification that had to take place. There was some purification that had to take place back at his father's house. And listen to me, folks, mark it down. Before God can do something great in our lives, before he can use us the way that he wants to, there has to be some purification. There has to be some things at home that are gotten out of there that are not pleasing to the Lord. We can't serve two masters, the Bible says. You either love the one and hate the other, or you hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and serve yourself. You cannot serve God and serve the devil at the same time. It doesn't work like that. And you see, a lot of times, Christians, they try to have both. They try to say, oh, I love Jesus. Oh, I want to serve God. I want to do what's right, but I want a little bit of sin over here on the side at the same time. Oh, you know, I, I love God. I'm, I'm here in church, aren't I? I'm singing the hymns. I'm listening to the preaching. I, I'm here every time the doors are open. I love God. But, you know, Monday through Friday that, and Monday through Saturday, that, that, no, that's, that's, that's my time. I'll give God Sunday. I'll worship God on Sunday, but... Not when the game is on. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give God my own, but not, not if I already have plans. 
And you know, I'll, 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 you know, I'll, I'll do whatever God wants me to do, but don't, don't get in here and start messing with my little sin. God says to Gideon, listen, Gideon, before I can use you, there's some things in your house that have to be taken care of. There's some things in your house that have to be gotten out of there post haste, Gideon, that have to be removed. And you see, folks, the Bible says, who shall ascend to the hill of God and who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. We can't have filth in the heart and expect God to be able to use us. God says, I need a clean vessel. In order to bring glory to myself, I need a clean vessel. I can't use a dirty one the way that I want to. And that's going to take getting honest with yourself a little bit. Because there's some things that we're against, right? We're against murder. We think it's wrong. At least I hope we do. <laughs> we think it's wrong. If somebody were to come in here and, 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 and brutally murder somebody right here in front of the church, you'd say, that's awful. That's terrible. Lock them up. If some couple were to come in here, some, some unmarried couple, and just start going at it right here in the, in the front of the church and say, oh my goodness, what are you, what are you doing? This is church. What, what, what are you, what are you doing? If I were to come up here and just start cursing and swearing and using every filthy word in the book, you'd say, brother Drew, oh, we better call Pastor Rogers. I don't know if he knew what kind of guy he was bringing in here to preach. But yet, sometimes we can go home from church. And we could flip on the television set. And all those things I just, that I just said, we would be appalled by if they happened right here. If it's behind a pane of glass inside of a square box, not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. I'm thankful for this thing right here. It's my iPhone. It allows me to call people. It's got the Maps app. Oh, praise the Lord for the Maps app when you're an evangelist. Back in the day, they had to like get the map out and like open it up and, you know, try to figure out, you know, which way do I, okay, get on the 10 and then go get on the 5. And you know, <laughs> I could just type in the address and, you know, 85% of the time, it'll take me right to where I want to go. <laughs> I'm thankful for it. Let me tell you, the devil can put a whole lot in our mind with this right here. Before God can use us, before he can do everything he wants to do in our life, before he can take us from where we are now to where he wants us to be, from a coward to a commander, there's some things that got to go. Some things that aren't pleasing to him that have to be removed. And he says, Gideon, I want you to go and I want you to cut down this altar to this false god and I want you to build one to me. But here's what I was talking about when you get to peek behind the curtain a little bit. The Bible doesn't just say, and Gideon went and did it without any fear and with all the boldness in the world, and, and he was Mr. Super Christian. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Gideon went at night. Because there's still a little fear in Gideon's heart. There's a little anxiety in Gideon's heart. Because these, these, these men that, that worship these false gods, you know, there's a bunch of them. First of all, a lot of the city was, was given into this idolatry and, and they didn't love Jesus. They didn't care about, you know, being kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. No, they would probably do something terrible to Gideon for cutting down their altar. And I love it that, that the Bible shows this to us because Gideon wasn't just right off the bat, just full of faith. There was a little bit of fear in his heart. And sometimes when God reveals something to us, maybe there's a little hesitation, there's a little fear. I don't, God, I don't know if I can take that next step. God, I don't know if I can live without that. God, I don't know. I mean, you want me to do what? But we see here, even though Gideon had a little fear in his heart, what did he do? He obeyed. He simply obeyed God. Folks, you don't need to be Mr. Super Christian or Miss Super Christian here today. You don't need to have all your ducks in a row. All you need to do is obey God. One step at a time. We don't expect somebody who just got saved all of a sudden just have it all figured out. There's a growth process. There's getting closer to God each and every day. It's not just, bam, I'm a new creature and I don't struggle with anything that I used to and I'm just perfect and holy and look at my suit and tie. No. There's steps of growth that need to be taken. And God doesn't call us to be perfect. He calls us to simply obey him. One step at a time. I find also interesting in verse number 27, Gideon took 10 men of his servants. Godliness is polarizing, folks. 
What do I mean by that? I mean, when Gideon decided to do right and obey God, there were 10 other men who said, you know what? We're right there with you, Gideon. We're right there with you. And we're going to do what's right as well. And let me tell you something. When you decide, I'm, I'm decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, there are going to be some folks that, that you're able to influence for right and that you're able to influence for good. You say, you know what? You know, if they're going to serve God, you know, maybe I'll do it too. But I say polarizing because there were 10 that decided, yes, this is great. We're going to, we're going to go with you. But there are also some, as we continue to read here in the passage, that weren't too happy about it. They said, wait, 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 somebody cut down our growth. Who, who, who went and did this? And there'll be some that love you for it when you decide to do right. There'll be some that encourage you. But there'll also be some. There'll also be some who aren't too thrilled with you deciding to do what's right. Man, you used to be fun. You used to go and hang out with us and you used to go and, 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 and run all sorts of sin with us. You used to be fun. What's wrong with you? What happened to you over there at that church? And as tough as that can be, you know what can be even worse? When it's so-called Christians who aren't for you. Because you know what, what, what a backslidden Christian hates more than anything else? It's a Christian that's on fire for God that makes them feel bad about their backsliddenness and makes them feel bad about their little sin that they're holding on to. If you decide to go on for God, there might be some who call themselves Christians who say, whoa, 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 don't get, I mean, you don't have to get that excited about God. I mean, okay, you, you can love Jesus, but you don't have to go soul winning. Oh, okay, you can go to church, but you don't have to go to like every service. Well, calm down a little bit. Stop getting so excited. I mean, you can get saved, but you don't have to like talk about it all the time and tell everybody. Well, that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And when you choose to do right, there'll be people that go with you, but there'll also be people who, try, who, who, you know, they're a little threatened by your righteous living. They're a little threatened about your decision to, 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 to follow all the way after Jesus because they're just trying to follow a little bit. But don't let that hold you back. Don't let that deter you. Draw nigh to God, James 4 and verse 8 says, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse ye hand, your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Stop waffling back and forth is what it's saying. Being double-minded. And choose, I'm going to serve God. You see the sanctifying of the house, but Gideon wasn't done yet. He wasn't done learning lessons yet. God still had some things for Gideon to learn before he could take him all the way to where he wanted him to be as the commander of his people. Number four, we see the showing of a sign. The showing of a sign. Judges 6, beginning in verse number 33. The Bible says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of the east were gathered together and went over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of God came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and, and Abiezer was gathered after him, and he sent messengers throughout all, basically throughout all the, the, the coast of Israel there, and, and the, all the, the, the people came to meet, to meet Gideon there and, and get ready for battle. In this passage, I like to say things started getting real, okay? Gideon said, I'm making a decision. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to cleanse my house. You know what? <laughs> okay, God, I'm, I'm going after you. But all of a sudden, things started to get real. All of a sudden, the Midianites started gathering together. All the enemies of God started gathering together, and he said, okay, all right, all right, this, is, this is really happening. You know, it's one thing to make a decision for Christ on Sunday and praise the Lord for that, but then Monday it gets real. It gets real. It's like, it, you know, it, all of a sudden the, the, the forces of evil seem to converge together to, 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 to see if, if you really meant that decision that you made for Jesus. Here Gideon is, and the, the enemies of Israel gather together, and he blows the trumpet, and he starts getting his army together, and it's starting to get real for Gideon. And look at verse 36. And Gideon said unto the Lord, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Wait a minute. God had already said he was going to save Israel by my hand. There's no if here, Gideon. God already guaranteed it. He already promised it. And let me tell you something about our God, folks. When God makes a promise, he doesn't go back on it. God doesn't make campaign promises that may or may not and probably may not come truth. It come true. God makes promises that you can take to the bank 100% of the time and always get a return. He had promised Gideon he was going to save Israel through his hand. But here as things are starting to get real for Gideon, we still see that humanity. We see that doubt in his heart. And I'm encouraged by that. Because again, Gideon didn't just you know wake up one day and, ah, I am now the commander of Israel. No. God had to take him and he had to work with him and he had to purify him. He had to cleanse him. He had to help his doubts. 
Thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. Verse 37, Behold, I will put a a fleece of wool on the floor. And if the dew be on the fleece only and be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. So it was, for he rose early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed out the dew of the fleece, a bowl full of water. This was a miracle, folks. If you ever experience dew, it, it doesn't discriminate, okay? It gets all over everything. If you leave something out and, it, and there's dew overnight, it's going to be all wet. And Gideon says, I'm going to put a piece of wool and I want the dew to just be on the fleece and all the ground to be dry. And God does it for Gideon. But Gideon still wasn't there yet. He still had some fear in his heart. <laughs> Verse number 39, Gideon said to the Lord, let not thine anger be hot against me. I will speak but this once. Lord, please don't be mad at me. I, I, I know you promised. I know you just answered my prayer, but just, just one more time. Let it be dry upon the, only upon the fleece and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. For it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. Now, people argue over this passage, oh, Gideon, he shouldn't have asked God for those things. He should have just believed God and gone forward. And you can go back and forth about that. But the point I want to bring out today is this. Gideon prayed, and he prayed for the impossible. And God did the impossible in Gideon's Gideon's life. And folks, I'm afraid that sometimes we as Christians start to, we start to pray small. We start to pray little things that maybe, you know, won't tax God too much. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to impose upon God too much and ask for something too big. So we just kind of pray little easy prayers that he can answer and won't be too much trouble for him. But what kind of God do we serve? Do we serve a God that's got maybe a little bit of power, a little bit of answer to prayer, and, you know, he maybe sprinkled a little bit on us, and, and you don't want to use up all your answers to prayer. No, we serve a God that says, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Let me tell you something. You start praying, you start praying big, and God's going to start doing some things in your life, and your faith is going to be strengthened because of it. If you got some doubts, if you got some fears, if you got some anxieties, stop worrying about them and start praying about them. And you'll be amazed at what God can do. God says, try me. Prove me, saith the Lord of hosts, and see if, if a blessing I won't pour out on you. But sometimes we forget our greatest weapon. We forget the greatest privilege that we have as Christians, and that is to come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may attain mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Here was Gideon in his time of need, and he came to God, and God came through for him and strengthened his heart and answered his prayers. Have there been some some things maybe that we've stopped praying about? Well, God didn't answer the first time, so I'm just going to forget about that. Do we have some unsaved family, some unsaved friends that maybe we've kind of let slide off the prayer list? Do we have some miracles and some things that we wish God would do? But, well, he hasn't done it yet, so. Don't get weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Let me tell you something. The fact that I'm standing here today is miracle upon miracle upon miracle. As an assistant pastor, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thankful for my time that I had there as an assistant. But let me tell you something. It's not a get-rich-quick get scheme, Okay being an assistant pastor. It's just, just, you don't go into it for the money. (laughs) And the fact that I'm here today with a at least $10,000 truck and a big fifth wheel trailer is because there's a God in heaven. Not because of me. It's because of him. And I could just, I could go over, I could go over my life. I could just go over miracle after miracle with you of how God has come through. And maybe you say, I don't, you know, I don't really have a whole lot of those stories, Brother Drew. Well, maybe you ought to get on your knees and make some. Because God is ready. He's, he's, his ear is open to our cry. He's waiting for us to cry to Him and to ask Him and to, and to, and to try Him and to prove Him. Taste and see that the Lord is good, David said in Psalms. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. I challenge you, pray big. You see the showing of the sign. But then, God still wasn't done with Gideon. We see the shrinking of the army, number five. And we see that in chapter number seven. He was still bringing Gideon along. You got to get right, Gideon. You, you, you got to trust me, pray and prove me. But now 
He wants him to trust him even more. Sometimes I find myself thinking this, okay, God, I've surrendered to your will. Uh, here I am, Lord. What's the plan? How are we going to make this happen? What, what, what's, lay me out the 10-year plan, Lord. What's, what's going to happen here? And God says, all right, here we go. You ready? Trust me. Okay, God, I got that. I got that. I'm going to trust you. All right, all right. Now, what's next? Just keep trusting me. <laughs> okay, Lord, <laughs> I appreciate it, but, uh, you know, I, I, could you, like, lay it out for me? You know, write it down. Give me a, give me a, a you know, I like lists. You know what I mean? I like things that will be laid out nicely. And, uh, but that's not the way God works. He'll reveal to you the next step once you take the step that he's already revealed. One step at a time. Without faith, it's impossible to please, to please him, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says. And God will often put a person through a valley of testing before allowing us to reach that pinnacle or mountaintop of victory. And when we're there, either fear will conquer and we'll quit, or faith will conquer and we will triumph. And here he is, verse number, chapter number 7. The Bible says, Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod. So the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand have saved me. Now therefore go to and proclaim in the ears of all the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And the return of the people, 20 and 2,000, and there remained 10,000. Again, when you read the Bible, don't just, don't just, you know, read through the verses and say, okay, that was good. Put yourself in the story. Here you are. You're Gideon. The army's gathering together. You're, you're sending some guys out there to count them all. He's like, okay, we got 32,000. Oh boy. <laughs> 32,000. I mean, that's a good number, but, uh, the Midianites, they got like 135,000. 32,000. Maybe Gideon was the numbers guy. I don't know. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. He said, okay, 135,000, 32,000. That means that each one of my men have to kill four of the enemy soldiers for us to be victorious. That's a little bit far-fetched, but you know, <laughs> maybe, you know, with the Lord's help, we can, we can do this four to one odds. Four to one odds. I like those odds. It's, it's better than, you know, than, than what it could have been. As, we, we can do this. We can do this. All right, Lord, what's the plan? What's the battle strategy, Lord? And the Lord says to Gideon, uh, Gideon, I have been looking at your army, sir, and it's too big. Gideon, maybe he cleaned out his ears a little bit. <laughs> Run that by me one more time, Lord. <laughs> too big? We're already at four to one odds, God. What are you talking about? It's too big, Gideon. Here's what I want you to do. The first step in the Midianite conquest. I want you to go to your men, get them all together and say, anybody who's afraid of the coming battle, you can pack up your stuff and go home. Think about it, you're the commander. This is your first, your first directive that you're given from God for your army. Maybe Gideon, you know, <laughs> he got, got his army together and didn't make the announcement too loudly. He's like, I'm not going to need the megaphone. We're just going to make this as quietly as possible and hope that nobody takes me up on it. Okay, if you're afraid and uh, afraid of the battle... Um... And two-thirds of Gideon's army said, oh, well, okay then, Brother Gideon. <laughs> Good luck with that, those Midianites. <laughs> you have a great time fighting them. Uh, we'll, we'll pray for you. <laughs> and they, they, they just took off. They had it right out the door. Two-thirds of his army. And Gideon's got to be sweating now. Two-thirds of his army just disappears. All right, God, you better have a really good battle strategy for me, Lord. <laughs> Here we are. Let's do the math. Okay. 10,000 left, 135,000 Midianites. That's 13 and a half men that every one of my soldiers has to kill for us to get this victory. Okay. Oh man, 13 and a half. That, that is a lot of dudes. Okay. I, I just, I don't know about this. Oh, okay. God, what's the plan? What's the plan? Verse number four. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet too many. Lord, please, <laughs> have mercy on me, Lord. What are you doing? You're yet too many, Gideon. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go. And so whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people into the water, and the Lord said unto Gideon, everyone that lappeth the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, 
shall thou, thou shalt set by them himself. Likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. The number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. So the majority of the army, they got down on all fours and they were just lapping the water up. And only 300 got down, scooped the water up with their hand while keeping that hand on the sword, I believe, because they were ready for battle. And God said, by those 300 men that were ready, I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand. You know what those odds are? 450 men, each one of those 300 would have had to defeat in order for them to get the victory, just humanly speaking. He's like, well, four men, I don't know, 13 and a half, that seems a little far-fetched. 425 to one odds. And God says, look what he says. Verse number seven. The Lord says, by those 300, I will deliver the Midianites into thy hand. God said, now we're good. Now we have enough. Because if you get the victory now, Gideon, only one person can get the glory for that. And that's God Almighty. You can't take credit for that, Gideon. Your men can't take credit for that. Because if, the, if somehow this, 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 this army is defeated by 300 men, only God can do something like that. And that's often where God has to take us in our life. Get us to the point where we realize I cannot do this on my own. I cannot succeed on my own. Only God can. And we yield ourselves to him. Now, unfortunately, for some people, God has to lay them out flat on a hospital bed. God has to put them in a prison cell in order to get them to realize only God. But may we here in this place get to that point before God has to make us get to that point. Say, God, I'm yours. I don't understand what you're going to do. I don't understand how you're going to do it, but I'm yours. Whatever you want for me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, I don't care if I'm 16 or if I'm 156. Lord, whatever you want for me, I'm willing. I'm willing to obey you. By those 300 men, Gideon, that is how I'm going to get the victory. Maybe John Wesley was thinking of Gideon when he said this, Give me a 100 men who fear nothing but sin and love nothing from God, and I will shake the gates of hell. Listen to me. There's not 300 people in this building, but God can take this group right here, and he can shake California. He can shake this town. He can shake this county. He can shake this country. I, I, I couldn't do that. No, but your God can. And he can through a life that is fully and totally yielded to him. The devil might have the government. He might have the entertainment industry. He might look like he's in charge in our school systems in our society, and everywhere that we turn. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how many are on his side. When we have God on our side, we're the majority. When we have God on our side, we have the overwhelming odds against them. It's them that should be afraid, not us. Little is much when God is in it. But God still had one more thing to show Gideon before he would give him the victory. One more thing. And that was the state of the enemy in Judges 7, 9 through 15 the state of the enemy. 300 men, Gideon's little tiny army against 135,000. And God says in verse nine, arise, get thee down into the host for I've delivered it into thy hand. But if thou fear to go down, verse 10, go with Phura thy servant down to the host and thou shalt hear what they say and afterwards thine hands shall be strengthened. Verse number 13, the Bible says, and when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream to his fellow and said, behold, I dreamed a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it. And the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, this is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. Do you see that? Gideon goes down to, to, to spy in the, uh, with his servant to the, on, the, on the host of the Midianites. And there's two men talking in the tent and one tells about a dream that he, that he had and the other one says, listen, 
I'll tell you what that dream means about that barley cake crushing the tent. That's Gideon, the son of Joash. I don't even know how they figured out who, the, who Gideon was, but they knew about him in, that, in, that, in there, and they knew about Gideon. And God had delivered into his hand the host of the Midianites. 135,000 against 300, and they were afraid of the 300. They were afraid of Gideon, and they were afraid of Gideon's God. And again, we can look at them and say, there's so many of them, it seems like the devil's in control, and we can cower in fear. Or we can see what's really going on, that God is in control, and we have nothing to fear. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. That's what, that's what this world system wants to pound into us, and this COVID thing has shown us that more than ever. They want you to live in fear. They want you to live afraid, petrified, each and every day, living in fear of what might happen, and this might happen, and that might happen, and what am I going to do? But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. And Gideon says, God says to Gideon, Gideon, I've delivered him into your hand, but if you're still afraid, I'm going to again pull back that curtain and let you see. They're afraid of you. <laughs> and finally, we see the sword of the Lord. The sword of the Lord. All right, God, we got our 300. We got our 300, God. What's the strategy? Are we going to you know, kind of surround them and, and come in from this direction and that direction? What are we going to do? And God says, listen, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust my plan. Remember in the beginning, they were questioning God's plan. I want you to trust my plan. You know what my plan is, Gideon? Torches and pitchers. I want you to get every man a torch. I want you to put a pitcher on top of it and give every man a trumpet. Do we have any trumpet players here today? Any trumpet players? Anybody? Okay. If you ever heard a trumpet player, you know it can be a deadly instrument, you know, <laughs> for your eardrums. But it's not usually considered a weapon of war. And God says, listen... Trumpets, pitchers, and torches. That's my plan. You got to trust my plan. You got to trust my power, God said. 300 versus 135,000. And you have to trust my presence, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the people said. And so they surrounded the, the, the camp of the Midianites into three bands. Gideon made them go, go and surround the, the camp and they held in their hand the torch with the pitcher on top of it and they had their trumpet and all at once they blew the trumpets and they broke the torches or broke the pitchers and hold the torches aloft and they said the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and the Midianites thought they were surrounded. They thought that it was a much bigger force than it really was and the Bible says that then verse number 21, they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the 300 blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host, and the host fled. They didn't even have to do anything the first part of the battle. God made the Midianites turn on each other in their fear and in their confusion. And 300 men defeated 135,000. It was an impossible battle. It was an impossible task, but God took Gideon there one lesson at a time. He wasn't a great commander overnight, nor would he ever make another mistake again. But through simple obedience, he secures his place in the pages of Scripture. Let me tell you something, folks. We might not have it all together. In fact, he's still working on all of us. Anybody who says they have it all together, they're lying. Anybody perfect in here today? Let me put my hand down because I sure aren't. I sure ain't. That's some good English for you. I sure ain't. But let me tell you something. Simple obedience, saying, yes, Lord, will take us places we never thought we could go. Simple obedience, yes, Lord, will have us doing things and accomplishing things for God we never thought we could. The question is, will we obey him? Say, oh, I can never be a commander. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to be a commander. Maybe he wants you to be a prayer warrior. Anybody can pray. Everybody can pray. And it's the most powerful weapon we have in our arsenal. We ought to be using it. Oh, I can never be a commander. Well, maybe God just wants you to be a witness. You can tell somebody about him. Maybe he just wants you to, 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 to be a light shining for your family. Don't give up on your family. The ones that maybe have strayed or the ones that have never come to Christ 
you keep praying for him, you keep loving him, you keep witnessing to him until the, until the day that you're in the ground. You just keep going because God can do things, amazing things. You say, oh, I couldn't be a commander, but, 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 but maybe you could be a missionary. Maybe you could be in ministry or maybe you could just serve God faithfully wherever he's put you. I don't know what God's there for you is, but I know he wants to take you from here to there. And the only way that he can do it is through simple obedience each and every day. One more illustration, I'm done. The African Impala can jump to a height of over 10 feet, 10 feet in the air, and cover a distance of greater than 30 feet in a single bound. That's amazing. But yet, these magnificent creatures, 30 feet, these magnificent creatures can be kept in any zoo, in an enclosure with just a three-foot wall. 30 feet. But yet a three-foot wall can keep them enclosed. You know why? The Impala will not jump unless he can see where his feet will land. Unless he knows exactly where it is that he's going to land, he won't jump. And so a creature that could soar over those fences will stay in them, trapped in them, if he doesn't know exactly where his feet are going to land. Faith is the ability to trust what we cannot see. The ability to jump and trust that the Lord knows where our feet will land. And my challenge to us today is let's not stay in the flimsy enclosures of fear that the devil tries to put us in. Oh, I could never do that. That's oh, too big for me. I, I, I don't think. I, uh. But let's by faith jump. By faith say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever. Lord, I'm willing to obey you in whatever. And let's watch God do the impossible through our lives.